0: So are you a double checker? A double checker. You know, you you double check that you turn the stove off. You double check that you turn your crimping iron off. You, You double check that the milk is turned in the refrigerator so that the expiration date faces outward. You know who you are. Come on now. Or when you get in the car, you get to the end of the driveway and you stop, you get out and go back and check to make sure that the deadbolt was really locked. You just give it a little double check. Well, I am a double checker. I am, and I get it honest. It's, it's in my genes, it's in my DNA. I inherited it from my dad. I assume he inherited it from his dad. It's just a thing. We check, we are double checkers. But my favorite double checker in the world might be Adrian Martinez. Now who in the world is Adrian Martinez? Adrian Martinez was the guy who used to wear the Green Bay Packers cheesehead hat on his head in the old original commercial with Aaron Rodgers for State Farm on the discount double check. And the reason I love Adrian Martinez is because he's just some guy in the commercial. He's not even a featured character. At the very end of the commercial, he knocks on the window outside the State Farm office and says, Rodgers, discount double check. That's it. That's, That's his whole claim to fame. And I remember when I saw that commercial I just died laughing I was like that guy got hired to do that I would do that I would be in that commercial just for that moment I love it discount double check now why did they have those commercials well they had those commercials because it was an attempt to help you double check your insurance coverage to make sure you were getting all the discounts that you could get in other words they were trying to improve your coverage now why do we have insurance coverage well, insurance is this financial coverage in case something happens, right? It's a, it's a backup plan, something to help us if there is an incident, an accident, or a loss. That's, that's what insurance does. So what about your spiritual coverage? How's your spiritual coverage doing? If you were to take a double check of your spiritual coverage right now, how is your spiritual health? How's your spiritual attitude? How is your spiritual tone of voice? How's your spiritual activity? How is your spiritual input? We have a lot of input these days. How much are you inputting the things of God? And why should it matter? Why should you double-check your spiritual coverage? Well, here's why. Because at any given moment, you could have an incident, an accident, or a loss. And just like... Your insurance coverage, spiritual coverage, will help you see if that incident, that accident, or that loss is your fault or someone else's fault. But, but more than that, what it will do will also help you to see what the temporary or permanent issues may be. So taking a, a double check on your spiritual coverage is gigantically important on any given day of your life. About 2,600 years ago, the people of Jerusalem did not take a double check on their spiritual coverage. In fact, they didn't pay attention much to their spiritual life at all, and there was an incident. And what was that incident? Well, let's find out. Lamentations chapter 4, we're beginning with verse 1. How dark the gold has become, how the pure gold has changed. The sacred stones are poured out at the corner of every street. The precious sons of Zion weighed against fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen jars, the work of a potter's hands. Jerusalem is a great and strong and mighty city. It would be like a, a golden city in the world. But then everything changed. Around 586, the Babylonians came in, conquered Jerusalem, the city, and really the nation. And they went from a city of gold to a city of of broken, shattered, scattered pottery. In the blink of an eye, everything changed. Now, 23 years before the Babylonians showed up, God told Jeremiah to take some of the church leaders outside town for a little chat. And he gave him a message that he wanted to give those folks in the church. All kind of different folks, pastors, elders, deacons, teachers, all kind of people, all kind of leaders. And they got outside of town and and God said, Jeremiah, I want you to to take a a pottery pot with you too, like a clay pot. I want you to take that with you outside of town. And then he gave him some more instructions. And so they're outside of town and, and they're about to hear a message. And the reason that they had to hear this message was very important. The people were being very, very religious. They had a lot of religious activity. But they were not being repentant. And even their religious activity wasn't even about God. They casually worshipped God, but they had a lot of other idols. They they had some some idols that they brought in in addition to worshipping God. And one of those idols actually was was politics, and, and we'll see in a second. A couple of other thoughts on their political idolatry but they get outside of town and and Jeremiah gives them the message and when he finishes the message he followed out the next thing that God asked him to do and God said when you're done telling the people the message I want you to take the clay pot and I want you to throw it on the ground and shatter it into pieces well here was the message the message was that justice and judgment was coming to the people. That God was sending his justice and his judgment on the church, on the city, on the country. He was sending justice that way. And it was, again, a gracious warning calling them to repent. And 23 years later, God kept his word because God keeps his word. Justice came. Judgment came. The city the people, the country was shattered and scattered. God kept his word and that's a good thing because God keeps his word when it comes to justice but God also keeps his word when it comes to grace. and We definitely want the second one, right? We want him keeping his word with justice and we want him keeping his word with grace and mercy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Simon Peter was writing to some Christians who were very confused about what was happening in their world. They were, they were suffering a great deal. And this is what Peter wrote to them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope of Jesus Christ is not a fairy tale. The hope of Jesus Christ is a living hope. If we were to look around at our life, we will discover that we look for hope in a lot of places. Right? We look for for hope in parents, and spouses, and and kids, and and preachers, and presidents, and and teams, and jobs, and economies, and governments, and nations. We we look for hope in a lot of different places, and that's not wrong. It's just that. There's no living hope in all of those people and all of those things. Because they have a starting date and an ending date on earth. None of those people, none of those things I mentioned, none of them last forever. But the hope that comes from Jesus is completely different. It has no ending date. The hope that comes from Jesus is not gold that can get dusty and stolen and and lose its value. The hope that comes from Jesus is is not like a a piece of of clay pottery that can be dusty and and stolen or shattered and and scattered all over the place. No, the hope that comes from Jesus, the salvation that comes from Jesus, it is truth and it's alive. It's hope and it's alive. Why? Why? Because Jesus was crucified for the penalty of my sin and your sin Jesus died for me and Jesus died for you but he didn't stay dead he rose from the grave therefore the hope that Jesus offers is not temporary it's not even just for a lifetime it is living hope it's alive and it's alive forever this is who Jesus is this is what Jesus does So wherever we may look for hope, whether it's parents or spouses or or kids or preachers or presidents or teams or jobs or economies or, or, or governments or nations, wherever we look, none of those people, none of those things can give us a living hope that lasts forever. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can give us that hope. The people looked at Jeremiah's shattered, scattered pot that day. And they said, Jeremiah, man, that was, that was a good sermon. I, man, it just gosh, touched my heart. It just got me right here. And with that illustration with the pot, oh, man, that, that was fantastic. And then they left, and, and nothing was different. They didn't do anything different. They didn't, they didn't change their ways. They didn't turn to God. They just kept living in their pride and their rejection and their refusal to turn to God to repent and to follow him and so 23 years later God kept his word and justice and judgment came if we were to scan the headlines today we'd see that there's moral sexual immorality scandal and politics we'll see that there's immorality and and scandal in, in religion We'll see that there's terrorist bombings, that there's violence at abortion clinics. We'll see that there's economic turmoil in, in our domestic markets and our, in the foreign, foreign markets as well. well. We'll see turmoil. We'll see all of these things in the headlines. But interestingly enough, all of those things that I just said, those are summaries of the headlines from 1998. I just Googled them this week. Hey, what was happening in 1998? And so I just summarized like that. But 23 years ago, those were the headlines. So 23 years later, have the headlines changed? From the White House to the State House to the Church House to your house. Are we turning to God? Are we turning to Him? Are we repenting? 23 years later, are we as believers doing anything different toward God? Because the story was, the people sat and listened to Jeremiah's sermon, they were amazed at the broken pottery, but nothing changed. Nothing changed. Now, could you say that 23 years from now the headlines will be the same? Yeah, you could. Because it's not going to get better before Jesus comes. But it doesn't erase the question, how are we doing? Are we double-checking our spiritual life right now and saying, am I turning to God am I listening to his truth because what the people of Jerusalem did was they ignored God and they partially were religious but primarily they were self centered they did a little bit of the religious thing they did a little bit of God and country but they weren't actually truly turning to God and following God they continued in their pride C.S. Lewis said that every other sin lined up and compared next to pride makes all those other sins look like a flea bite because pride is just so dominating. He said this, It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. He went on, Pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Let's just take those three things, right? If you look out at our nation right now, are we lacking in love? Are we lacking in contentment? Are we lacking in common sense? And if the answer is yes, then it is very possible that we have the spiritual cancer of pride. That we are continuing to turn to our way that's exactly what the people in Jerusalem had. they kept turning to their own way and their pride led them to reject God's message to ignore God's message and to refuse to repent and the end result was they lost everything everything Lamentations 4 is a, a poem about them losing everything reflecting on what happened in their lives Reflecting on the the devastation that they faced and and when you lose everything you lose everything right? You don't have any food or or shelter or money and so in verses 3 through 6 the the poem talks about this famine that the people were in This this famine that calls everybody from the blue collar to the billionaires to go from watching cooking shows To suddenly being homeless and, and starving they, they had nothing and then verses 7 and 8 of the poem, well, they turn things to the royals, the people who had political power. And those folks went from the great, pure, white of fine living to being homeless, starving, dirty, desperate, and without anything. Why? Because God's people refused to turn to God someone said that if we look closely we will see that that historically they were trying to make everything happen through political solutions they were trying to make everything happen through political solutions instead of through spiritual solutions and ultimately where that led them was homeless desperate and devastated in fact things were so bad in verse 9 the poet says this he said it would be better for you to be killed quickly with a sword than than for you to have to endure the famine that the people had to endure, that's pretty bad. Then in verse 10, he goes even farther. In verse 10, he says, it's not just that the children were, were dying in the arms of their mothers, it's that mothers were actually taking the lives of their children. This is not stuff for a Hallmark card, right? But you know what? Neither is anything happening in the world today. And just to be clear, every time we go, this is the worst things have ever been in the world, that will never be true. I know we feel that way because this is when we're alive, but that'll never be true because it's always been the worst thing in the world because that's what sin does. The things happening in the world are terrible. These things happening 2,600 years ago were terrible. And then in verse 11, we have this announcement. The Lord has accomplished his wrath. We're living in a time where there's a lot of people that are are crying for justice for a lot of different things. And truth be told, a lot of those things need justice. There's a lot of cries for justice that need to be heard, need to be honored, need to be pursued. But we also must remember that perfect justice will never happen on this earth perfect justice can't be found here perfect justice can only be measured out by the one true creator God he's the only one who can do that and according to God's truth justice will be done if you're nervous if you're mad if you're angry if you're losing your mind please understand justice will be done it may not be done right now but it will be done now someone may say well that's not fair. I, I don't like that. Justice will be done sometime later. I, I don't like that. This, this person's getting away with murder, or this person's getting away with whatever. I think it should happen right now. Well, here's how the math works in, in, in the economy of the universe, so to speak. When it comes to justice being done, let's, let's just put a murderer in that, okay? Let's just say that, that the murderer is, is justly on this earth, arrested and, and sentenced and you know, put on death row, spend his life in jail, whatever the sentence may be, and, and all that happens. But in jail, that person repents and comes to Christ. That means that justice for their sin will be carried out through the cross of Jesus. That justice will be taken to the cross. But, as someone explained this math, let's look at it another way. The other way would be let's say the person got off on a a loophole, you know, some little technicality, and, and justice wasn't served here on earth. Then, according to the truth of God's word, that means that that murderer will carry his justice with him to hell, and then he will experience justice, the terror of justice, forever and ever and ever. Now, someone might still say, I don't like that either. I still don't think that's fair. I think that they should get justice right here and right now. And if they don't, then I've got a problem with God. Well, I would graciously agree. You do have a problem with God, but maybe not the problem you think you have. See, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, "The wages of sin is death." So, what I deserve for my sin, what what Dow Welsh deserves for my sin is the exact same thing the murderer deserves whoever you hate in politics right now whoever you hate in the world right now whoever you are mad at angry at or in a disagreement with they deserve the exact same thing that you deserve for sin and Paul says the wages of sin is death but that's that's the math that's that's the economy of the universe and nothing can change that so yes We need to honor our laws. We need to honor our lawmakers. We need to pray that that justice on earth is, is done with wisdom and with mercy and with strength. However, let us not be so arrogant to turn to God and say, well, your justice is not enough for me. Because right now we're breathing because of the mercy of God. In a way that's the exact same type of arrogance the people of jerusalem had and here we are reading a poem about their whole world being destroyed verse 12 the kings of the earth did not believe nor did any of the inhabitants of the world that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of jerusalem that never happened to our church but that'll never happen to our city. That, that'll never happen to our country. Those are some super dangerous nevers. But it wasn't just the kings that were like, yeah, that'll never happen. And it wasn't just the political leaders that were saying, yeah, that, that'll never happen. Verses 13 through 16 calls out the church leaders. The church leaders said, oh, that'll never happen. We're at Jerusalem. We're, we're God's people. This will never happen to us. They refuse to listen to God's message they refuse to honor God's message they refuse to call the people to repent and lament over sin now what does it mean to lament well the definition that we've been using from Mark Vrogop goes like this to lament means you turn to God you complain to God you ask God and you trust God it is this movement toward God, this, this passionate movement toward God. But don't miss this. The church leaders said you don't need to do any of that. The church leaders said you personally, be mad and angry at the president, but don't worry about your sin." Be mad and angry at your parents or your spouse or your kids or the the pastor or the girl at the checkout line at Target. You would be mad at everybody, but don't worry about your sin. You don't need to do anything about it. This was the sermon. This was the message that the church was getting. You don't have to repent. You don't have to lament. Don't worry about it. And in the poem here, we, we see that rather than tell the people exactly what God wanted them to do, they gave them the opposite message, but dressed it up with just enough church language that everybody thought, okay, yeah, this is good, this is fine. But isn't it strange? Why would you not tell God's people, turn to God, complain to God, ask God, trust God? Why would you not tell God's people that? But they didn't. And then in verse 17, the poet drops these sobering words. Yet our eyes failed, looking for help was useless. In our watching, we have watched for a nation that could not save. The political leaders had made political alliances with other countries, but in their hour of need, when they needed someone to step in, those other countries didn't show up. And not only did the political solutions fail, in verse 20 we discover that the king was captured, that he was blinded, physically blinded by the enemy, was tortured and imprisoned. The Bible calls us to appropriately honor those in power. It does, more than once to appropriately honor those in leadership, both in the community, in the church, in our country, wherever those leaders may be. And right now, let's just be honest, generally speaking, in our country, nobody wants to trust leaders anywhere. And and hopefully we all know that, because it's how we all talk. It really is. But the Scriptures call us to honor those in leadership. Why? Why? Because there is not a person on this planet that has an ounce of leadership outside of the allowance of the one true sovereign God. You can bank on that. There's no one that has an ounce of leadership today outside of the allowance of the one true sovereign God so we can trust Him first and most and do our best with His help with all the rest. However, as the psalmist says, we do not put our primary trust in kings and horses and chariots and governments, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord, our God. That's where we put our trust. That's where we put everything. And so the poem is is coming to an end, and in the very last verse, there are two huge important messages in, in the one verse let's go with the second message first it's about a a group of people called the Edomites people of Edom And, and they said you know what it's a good and right thing for us to help out God's people if they ever get in trouble but then when the moment came they didn't and so the second message says that justice and judgment was going their way next that they were going to drink the cup of justice and judgment and why does that matter why is that important for me and you right now James 4, 17 says this, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. What's the right thing? What's the right thing? Here's the right thing. The right thing is what you know. The right thing is, is what you know. So what do you know about God? Well, what do you know about Jesus? What do you know about the truth of the Bible? What, what do you know? Not What do you not know Not what do you not understand. Not what do you not like, but what do you know? James is saying, live by what you know. Live according to what you know. When it comes to how you function in life, live by what you know, not by what you don't know. When you live by what you know, you can avoid what James says, sin. Because if you know what you should do and you have nothing to do with it, you don't even try, then it's sin. And then Paul said, what? The wages of sin is death. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life. So the people of Edom, they they had a choice. They had an opportunity. They could have done, just like Jerusalem, a little, little double check on their spiritual coverage. But they didn't. They just checked out. And just like the people of Jerusalem, justice and judgment were coming their way, But there's another message in verse 22. Listen to it. The punishment of your iniquity has been completed. The mercy of God through judgment and justice was not going to be forever. Yes, the people were conquered. Yes, they were scattered and shattered in so many different ways. But 70 years later, they came home. Their devastation was real, but their pardon was real as well. One commentator put it this way, when sin is pardoned, it is said to be covered. Covered. Listen, I know there's a lot of fear, a lot of worry, a lot of of anger and, and apathy about so many things happening in our country. But bless our angry, arrogant, apathetic, fearful, worried little hearts. This country is still an amazing miracle and gift from the Lord. And it is still the land that I love. And you know why? Partly because of the government. Our system of government is astounding. It's made up of three branches. A little history lesson for you, right? The executive branch, the judicial branch. Which one to leave out? Legislative branch. Ooh, gosh, I have a couple of my senator friends that are going to be mad at me. So, so there's these three branches. That, that's, that's the system. And, and the system, it's, it's not perfect. We know that, right? And, and by the way, there is not a single branch of our government that can save your soul and make things right with you and God. I think we know that but sometimes we need to hear it out loud but this system of government we have these three branches more often than not they are working to the best of their ability you know why because of people we don't know there are people in little offices in all three of these branches that just go to work and they do their job and them doing their job makes a difference in our lives Some of them might be members of your family. I have a friend of mine who has a family member who is in one of the most important offices in Washington, D.C., and he's doing an amazing job, and you'll never see him at a press conference behind a microphone. It'll never happen. At least if it has, I don't know anything about it. So why do I point that out? Just remember that whatever you hear at the press conference isn't always the truth. It isn't always the only thing that's going on. God is still shedding his grace on our country. He is still having mercy on our country. You know why? Because we're breathing. We're breathing. And you know why else he's shedding his mercy? Because his message has never changed. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Is near. Come to me, turn to me, complain to me, ask me, trust me. His message has never changed. You know, Jerusalem had three branches of government too prophet, priest, king. And we find here in Lamentations 4 that all three branches had completely failed. Completely failed. Why? because they refused to turn to God. But they refused to turn to God. And their government, just like our government, did not have the ability to completely and fully and finally and ultimately save. They couldn't do it. You know what's interesting about how Jesus is described in the New Testament? He's described as the prophet, the priest, and the king. It's just kinda cool. All the branches of government found in one, person. And why are all of those things found in Jesus? Why is he referred as the prophet and the priest and the king? Here's why. Because Jesus, unlike anybody or anything else, Jesus has the power to fully and finally and ultimately save. It's who he is. Only Jesus has the ability to, to pardon and cover your sin with love and grace and mercy and salvation and satisfaction and to cover it today and for all of eternity. Have you double checked your spiritual coverage today? Someone said if, if someone is cavalier about their sin by saying, hey, I'm saved by grace, hey, I'm under the blood, if that's how somebody responds to their sin, it is very likely they're not saved, as the quote went. Why? Because. If you've been pardoned, if you've been covered, then you will have a delightful desire. Not perfect attendance, okay? But you'll have a delightful desire to live in and live out your pardon. you'll, You'll want to do that. Why? Because you've been covered. Completely covered. I saw a powerful sentence this week, and this is what it said. My sins, all of them, were covered by Jesus. My sins, all of them, were covered by Jesus. That's yours for a second. Can your heart say that right now? Can your mind say that Right now. Can, can you with all truth say, my sins, all of them, have been covered by Jesus? If you can, then there is one thing you have right now that will last you to infinity and beyond. And what is that? Well, dear Christian, you have been saved and redeemed and rescued and pardoned and covered and therefore you have been given a living hope a living hope and nothing and no one can take that hope away own that just for a second no show of hands how many of you have a daughter's appointment this week how many of you are going to the tax office this week How many of you have to go to a lawyer this week? How many of you are dreading going to work or school tomorrow? How many of you have a huge project at the house that you would just love for it to disappear? Whatever it is, whatever moment you find yourself in this week, this truth will not change. The truth that you have sung and heard preached today and heard prayed, it will not change if you've been pardoned, if you've been covered, and you have a living hope and nothing can take your hope away nothing